The 2020 Montgomery County Board of Education race is perhaps the most important local election on the ballot this year in Maryland's largest jurisdiction. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. Over the next few weeks, I will be interviewing the Montgomery County Board of Education candidates to learn where they stand on key issues that will inevitably decide the future of our local education system. Today I'm talking with Neil Chandry, an at-large candidate for the Montgomery County Board of Education. He lives in Maryland. Here's what we discussed. Neil mm-hmm. Chaudhry. I'm saying that correctly. Chaudhry. 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 There you okay, go. Okay, I'm going to get it. I'm just going to call you Neil. Is that yeah, all right? That's great. Neil, that's you're great. an at-large candidate for the Montgomery County Board of Education. And as in my previous intro with another candidate, I said that the 2020 Montgomery County Board of Education race, I think, is perhaps the most important local race on the ballot. Mm-hmm. MCPS parents, schools, teachers, the support staff, and of course our students and our collective communities here in Montgomery County, they are interested in why you are running, what you hope to accomplish, and whether you're an ind- independent thinker be- or you're if you're perhaps beholden to special interest groups, and they want to know what you are going to be able to accomplish over the four years should you be elected. So I want to begin by talking about you. Neil, could you introduce yourself and Introduce yourself to not only the taxpayers, to the voters, to the shareholders, but to students and teachers and parents. And tell us how you arrived at your decision to run for an at-large seat on the Montgomery County Board of Education. And tell us a little bit about you personally. You have a really fascinating, interesting life story. So maybe you want to begin with that. Yes. So thank you, first of all, for uh, giving me this opportunity. Absolutely. uh, To, you know, just... uh, provide another voice in uh, the democratic process. Always appreciate that. Sure. And, you know, I really love the way you frame the discussion, right? It's about stakeholders in education, and it's about the taxpayers. I believe so. Right? It, it's, yeah. So I, I think a lot of times people forget that. They start focusing on a particular constituency, and they completely forget that, Somebody who sits on a board of education or a county council or any other local seat or even a national seat is representing, is speaking for all the constituents in in their area, right? So I'm I'm really glad that, you know, at least we're in the same wavelength there. Appreciate that greatly. Well, the taxpayers are funding the the system. (laughs) We're paying property taxes, and you know that's not always cheap. Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh So tell me about you. Tell me about um, where you're from, where you grew up, uh, and a little bit about your educational background and your professional career. So um, basically, I grew up in Africa. Uh, My parents used to work for um, United Nations. Mm Uh, setting up schools all across Africa. So we would have this sort of cycle where every four years we would have uh, African students that would uh, come in, uh, you know, go overseas to earn a undergraduate degree, come back to the community to set up a school for their community. So my parents would come in the first year, sort of the... Um, the student would shadow my parents, see how everything's done. The second year, it would be a, a cooperative model. By the third year, my parents were the mentors. And then in the fourth year, we're looking at transition and repeat, rinse and repeat somewhere else. Wow. So Ethiopia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Nigeria just, you know, lived out and out in the middle of like very remote areas setting up schools. So that, that was what we did growing up. 
uh, came to the United States. And in United States, my parents um, both are, you know, they're educators. They worked for the Board of Education for New York City. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. So they started off as teachers and then eventually became education evaluators, uh, specifically talking about this customized path to success for every student. You know, so, and I'll give you a prime example. A lot of students that they would initially see, you know, and, and they would have a team of sociologists, psychologists, bunch of folks there. Uh, they would see a kid because the teacher recommended them because they were being disruptive. And the teacher's note would say something about, oh, this kid may be emotionally. And, you know, it's not the case. You find out that the kid just needs some language lessons. They're being disruptive in the class because they can't follow along the material in English, right? They don't speak English at home. They have a second language at home. They just came to this country. They don't know what to do. They don't know the social right. norms. And so that's what my parents kind of did, right? And that's what those values that I bring along, like public service, you know, this, this idea, you know, coming into a strange culture myself, adapting, right? Leveraging on the goodness of others. And those are the values that I bring forward. And I took those values. I enlisted in the army at 17. Wow. Right. Uh, um, and I was fortunate. And this is where we talk about, um, you know, communities helping everybody, you know, each other. And this idea of giving back that no man is an island and you can see further on the shoulders of giants. So somebody saw potential in me, recommended me for a uh, green gold scholarship in the Army, got a commission as a result of that in the Army Transportation Corps. Did that for about 10 years with uh, my terminal assignment uh, before I uh, resigned my commission was establishing um, basically a uh, police infrastructure and public education infrastructure in, a, in uh, the Diyala province in Iraq. Wow. So um, came back. Yeah, so you know you've been deployed how many times? Four? Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of time away from family. And, you know, and th and that's the thing about, um, you know, the military, glad to serve. And at a certain point, you say when, you know, the family, it's a family choice, right? And we left because I needed to take care of my family, um, you know, and went to law school, thought I was going to be a union lawyer. That, <laughs> that was, you know, my goal in life. Uh, my law school, all my second and third year concentration was labor law. You know, I worked at the National Labor Relations Board. I worked for a federal judge. I worked for the U.S. Attorney. I worked for uh, the U.S. Postal Service in their tort section. You know, so all these things, you know, uh, about, uh, you know, the EEO claims and the, you know, labor claims, that's what I thought I was going to do till the market collapsed in 2008. I remember nine. that. I was working for Congress back then. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to get selected as a presidential management fellow. Hmm. And that's how I came to D.C. You know, and somewhere along the line, I've progressed in my career, you know, and uh, now I'm, you know, uh, I'm doing well, thanks to the grace of others. What are What is your professional career what are you doing today ah, okay. aside from raising three children <laughs> uh yes uh aside from uh family uh the work i do with my community 
Uh, my day job, I'm the director for systems and innovation in the Office of Trade okay. for U.S. Customs. Do you work in Washington? Yes, so downtown D.C. Ugh. Do you take the metro in or do you drive? A uh, combination of both. Ugh. Wow. So, and you know, uh, it's every time I take the, every time I'm driving, I always sort of ask why the P3 isn't done already. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, you, you got to call this your state. I think well, you, if you're in Potomac, you must, uh, you're, you're in District 16, I believe. 17. Seven, oh, you're in 17. Yeah. Okay. So while well, I'm in Gaithersburg, this is 17. Well. No, you, I, I think I'm with uh, uh, Kumar. Kumar's oh, Kumar Barbe? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, 17. Yeah, I'm, I'm in his district. you got to pick up the phone and call Cheryl Kagan and ask her when uh, our state's <laughs> when they're going to finish this P3 project. So, no, yeah. I hear you on that one. That's no, it's, it's, I'm focused on education right now. That's right, <laughs> right, right. Infrastructure is you another battle out. You can battle out the drive into D.C., but uh, I've done that many times. So you're working in D.C., and I'm sure now you're even more busy because of running for the Board of Education. You know, how'd you arrive at this decision? What was that process like? So, um, you know, I, I tell people I'm a unaffiliated, uh, you know, I'm, I've never been interested in politics, right? The, I've always been a public servant. So public service doesn't uh, lend you to, you to be partisan. So I've I've never picked a particular party. My always, you know, the values that I I, I say I said, as long as you promise to stay out of my wallet, <laughs> my bedroom, and you know, from getting and don't get in between me and my family, you got my vote. Yeah. Those three things. That's all I ask for, and that's what I've how I've lived my life for the last twenty years. And this past uh, end of December, start of January, I started reading. Um, I I. Uh, I don't recall exactly how, but I got uh, I started reading up on the redistricting uh, process that's going on in Montgomery County, and what that entails or what it doesn't entail. And uh, I attended a uh, public uh, a meeting at a high school in uh, Gaithersburg, you know, the north northwest, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I I went to that meeting. And I was very disappointed, you know, as a stakeholder in the community where uh, we couldn't get any straight answers. From? From uh, MCPS and WXY. Mm-hmm. The company that is conducting the boundary yes. analysis. Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment, but I... You have three children in the public yes. schools, and you you mentioned they're all in three different schools. So yes. you're you and your your wife are actively involved. You uh, yes. you know your community pretty well. So let me just start out by I want to talk to you about inequities, mm-hmm. and we know that. Did you? No, uh, I said before we start talking about inequities, if you don't mind, sir. Please. Uh, what I really you know going back to your core question of why I'm running. Yes. Right, because. I couldn't find a single candidate that stood for what I wanted. You know, everybody has their own constituency. Everybody has their own stakeholders. And I said, who's speaking for me? And then uh, basically what my wife said is, you know, if you're feeling this way, I'm sure there are other people feeling this way, that they're feeling left out of the process, that just because they're not a particular ethnic demographic or they're not part of the crescent or anything, they're feeling excluded, and she said, why don't you just run and see? Is this your first time ever running for office? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you've been busy. You've been doing a lot. And so yes. I 
I can, and it takes a lot to run. And it's any candidate who decides to put their name on the ballot, especially for a board of education seat, and you're not going to make a lot of money doing this. I know that they want to raise the salaries for the board of education members, and we're, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but to people listening, you're not going to, this is a, you're going to be spending countless hours of your life to dedicate it to advancing and ensuring quality education in Montgomery County. And you mentioned that you haven't found a candidate yet that really matches your values, and that's why you decided to run. I think that's a noble idea. That's, a, that's definitely a worthy goal. So what aren't you hearing from the candidates? You've probably met many of them. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, where is it that you want to take your campaign and what you want voters to take away from all of this? So, you know, as a parent of three children attending local schools in Montgomery County and, you know... I, first of all, I have to say, just appreciate all the teachers out there and administrators. My children are thriving in MCPS. So let's not discount that, right? It's not all gloom and doom. So, you know, I'm running to improve educational outcomes using meaningful data from families, from communities, from educators. It's I, I don't feel that, you know, at the board is listening to individual teachers, listening to parents, listening to community stakeholders who are going to be impacted by school changes. You know, it's uh, we don't have a common platform where there's a way to hear from ordinary citizens that are not tied in. I mean, you have kids yourself. Yeah. It's so hard to go to a board meeting and unless you are plugged in or even, you know, these decisions and whatnot or going to the finding out what the legislature is doing, unless you are tuned in. Right. It's, and it's very hard. And we can find out through the website. We can find out by watching the mm-hmm. the videos. But as I was telling my wife earlier today, we would love to go to more of the Board of Education meetings. But you know as well as I do, when they, when do they start? In the evenings? What are we doing? We're dealing, we're coming home from yeah. work after a long day. I'm. Uh, she and I are both up by 5, 5.30 every day. We're getting our kids off to school. We go to work. And then when we come home, we pick up the kids. It's it's not easy. And you're right. We, we want to feel plugged in the system. However, there is a, an issue that we feel less and less plugged in. And I hear that as a consistent theme throughout the co- county where people say, why wasn't I informed on this? And then there's another side that says, well, you should have been informed and you should be paying attention. It's like, well, we would like to if they would communicate it. So let's get into this. Let's mm-hmm. talk about some, and we I want to talk to you about the inequities. And these inequities are based on schools, they're based on poverty rates, um, and some of those include opportunities based on income of school parents, um, and there's higher poverty. There's schools having less after-school enrichment programs as well as the arts, and some of the inequities are based on the greater demands of meeting more needs in the classrooms. There's higher teacher turnover. There's a higher percentage of first-year teachers. Neil, how would you address these inequities? So, you know, once again, um, it goes back to, I mean, I at at the place where I am in my career. You know, I engage with international stakeholders. I engage with, you know, national stakeholders. I engage with national level uh, groups, you know, uh, uh, trade groups. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, at that at that level where I see is we we talk about you have to have a constructive communication process, right? So when we talk about inequity. We are talking about 
you know, issues and you say that MCPS alone cannot solve. We're talking about issues that are a community issue that unless we as a county work together, we can't solve. Right. And you look and you say, you know, the core reason for MCPS to exist is improving educational outcomes, right? It's not uh, facilities maintenance. It's not school bus driving, right? It's not cafeteria services. You know, it's not contracting. Those are not core competencies for MCPS. Yet MCPS seems to be duplicating those very functions that the county is also performing. (laughs) And you, you have to ask yourself, you know, are we not getting the educational outcomes we deserve because MCPS leadership has got their hands in too many pots? You know, and maybe, you know, they need to swallow their pride and say, if it's not a core competency directly related to education, we need to transfer that responsibility somewhere else. You know, there's there's no reason for an educator to try to figure out janitorial schedules. Hmm. N- no reason whatsoever. You know, and it's it's this pride we want. It's 56% of the county budget that goes towards education. That's right. But only, you know, when you look at where that money is going, only about half of it is going to teachers, mm. right? The Half the MCPS staff is educators. The other staff is all support staff. So you say, what are we doing about that? You know, is there a reason why building engineers couldn't be part of the county staff? Why do they have to be a part of MCPS staff, right? Why aren't we looking at lease lend you know, type arrangements where, you know, obviously MCPS knows how classrooms work and how they're supposed to work, but why don't we have that service level agreement with the county and have the county maintain those buildings and maintain our fields so that we're not ripping up fields every six years because we can't maintain them correctly. Yeah. Right? So it's those sort of things that drive inequity. I think it's MCPS leadership is not focusing on education, they're focusing on everything else but education, and that's resulting in in, inequity. Interesting. So you mentioned some of your ideas, and I think this ties in perfectly with the next question that I want to talk to you about. Three things that you would change about MCPS, and what about three things that you would keep? What do you think might be working with the school system? But first, three things that you would consider changing about our current public school system. So... You know, it, it, I'm very hesitant to ask that, answer that question in the way you phrased it because the role of the Board of Education is to provide executive oversight to subject matter experts, right? So I am not an education expert, right? So I, I would not want to delve into talking about how I, I would change education. I would leave, I would leave that to the experts, but I would make sure they were empowered to make those decisions. Um, you know, so the three things I would change is making sure that there was a way for the Board of Education to connect directly with teachers, not having to go through four layers of bureaucracy to hear what's going on in the classrooms. Are you hearing that from teachers? Yes. Okay. And they're saying that they're having difficulties communicating with the board members. Yeah. So it's not just communicating with the board members, but with the school leadership uh, you know, and you could see that even in the contract negotiations that are going on right now. Uh, you know, there are different things that teachers want. 
you know, teachers don't want to see any hungry kids in schools. Yeah. You know, teachers want to make sure kids are safe, that, uh, you know, that we don't have this culture of rape in MCPS, right? That's what teachers want. That's what parents want. But somehow we're not hearing that from MCPS. You know, teachers want every child to have an equal opportunity. So that means if, uh, you know, there's a kid in their classroom that can't afford books, you notebooks, find a way to do that. I mean, my parents did that, right? My dad used to have to sit in the uh, food, you know, in the lunchroom mm -hmm. at a period, and he would pay off student debt wow. for, for kids. You know, my mom used to buy school supplies for kids that couldn't afford it, right? And all the teachers in MCPS do that at a certain point in their career, but somehow we find, you know, a couple of million dollars for these esoteric studies, you know, $475 for WXY. There's a half a million dollar study before that. There were a couple of other things. And along the way, we're saying, why isn't this money going directly to the classrooms? Right. <clears throat> and those are the types of things that I would work to change. You know, the fact that when you, MCPS puts out any accountability measures, they put it in out in PDF format. <laughs> when you put an MPIA request, they make sure it's as, uh, you know, uh, as difficult for you to actually get the answer that you were looking for. You know, this idea that they'll never electronically put any data on their website in any open data format. Those are the kind of things that I would do is to provide executive oversight I would make sure that we have transparency and we have accountability. And you know, other people on the board have talked about their challenges when they, as a board member who's supposed to provide executive oversight, they can't get information from MCPS staff. I've heard that complaint, and I've also heard the complaint from teachers who say that there is a categorical problem of low morale mm -hmm. in various schools for a number of reasons. Do you want to address that? Yes, so when we talk about teacher morale, right? Teacher morale ties to engagement with the mission, right? Teachers are happiest when they're teaching kids and uh, they see their kids succeed and thrive, right? Teachers don't want to play favorites. They don't want to, you know, it's very hard for a teacher to even teach or even be retained in a certain school if we don't provide safety for the teachers leaving and coming to school. Yeah. You know, like simple things like a uh, a parking lot where teachers can park and they can get escorted to the school or back, things like that, that if there are disciplinary problems in the school, they're not being told by their principals that we can't document this because my uh, racial stats are going to look bad. You know, that those sort of things are what are bothering teachers and SROs. I've also talked to a lot of school safety folks that have, you know, uh, talked about this issue that when people are being disruptive, right, they're told not to document it because it affects the school's equity stats. Those are the kind of things that we want to address. And also, you know, on that line of that SRO, completely understand... For people who are unfamiliar with that, you're, of course, referring to school resource officers. Yes, yes. Who are based out of the high schools, of our 25 high schools. Uh, do you know if they are shared between middle and elementary schools? How does that process work? Do Once again, it's the lack of transparency. I don't know how that process works. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I should. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a question that I need to get to the bottom to, but you have you have an, a middle school student yes i have a middle school student 
the same problems that happen in high school happen in middle school. I would feel happier and more secure if my daughter, who goes to Robert Frost, had a school resource officer yes. there. So, you know, and once again, it goes back to I understand the point of view being a minority myself, right? Is this idea that some SROs might want to immediately escalate the situation, right? right. As opposed to de-escalate the situation. And the answer isn't take the SROs out. It's to find the correct SROs and provide them the correct training. Right. Right? That's the solution. Sure. It takes a much different skill set. I mean, we understand policing mm -hmm. and we understand security and the application of it. And we could talk in depth about the philosophy and how that works, restorative justice. There's yes. a whole complex issue that could take three hours on a podcast, and maybe at another time we'll address that. However, Neil, we want to be sure that, as, as you said, the school resource officers, we want to know that they are trained properly to work with educators, with students for lockdown and the policies and procedures because we send our skid kids to school every day with a risk. We're taking an yes. inherent risk of sending kids to school based on the recent gun activity mm -hmm. that we've seen all across the country. It's a, it's a concern and we wanna know that our kids are safely learning inside of their classrooms and their buildings are protected. Well, you know, it's, it's that, right? A huge part of that and lately, you know, when we talk about um, accountability at MCPS, we had these heinous incidents. I've been in Montgomery County for five years, yeah. and it's not a one-off, right? Rockville, Damascus, now Silver Spring. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Let's comment on Damascus. There's yeah. um, That was one of my questions later, but I'm glad you brought that up. And it's a big topic that's still on the minds of many people. Um, do you think the school system handled that correctly? Absolutely not. Have you have you talked to the Nebraska's community? Have you been in touch with them and, and heard from teachers, parents, students about the incident that occurred? And it was a terrible thing that happened. So I've talked to stakeholders, including some of the SROs from that area, right? And we have this idea, right? And we it goes back to when you have a monopoly on politics, you end up being tone deaf. So when we look at even this latest incidents in Silver Spring, right? We have somebody who was whose residence is in Adelphi. You know, at the last time I checked, Adelphi wasn't in Montgomery <laughs> County. But here we have an adult, right? Who does not even live in the county. Attending a county school with our 13 and 14 year olds. Right. Right? And the response that comes from the school, the tone deaf response that comes from the school is plier versus doe. Uh, all, everybody, regardless of immigration status, attends schools. That's not what we asked as parents. What we asked as parents is, what are your processes to make sure that only people that are in that school cashment boundary area are attending that school? Yeah. Right? And the tone deaf response that came back. Maybe it's to allay, you know, to... Uh, when you, you know, say tone-deaf response, mm -hmm. are you referring to the MCPS administration's response through their communications? Are you talking yes. about Superintendent Jack Smith? Are you talking about the Board of Education? To whom are you referring? I'm talking to all the stakeholders, not the principals, the superintendent, the Board of Education, but it's that senior leadership that sets the culture and the tone. Right. You know, 
all I heard out of that two-page thing that you know we got back from the principals was plier versus doe, immigration, immigration, immigration. Nothing about you know, hey, this is you know we this is what we're doing to keep our kids safe. This is the how we're going to change our process. We're going to go back and review our records to make sure we don't have any more adults, you know, who are in the who don't even live in the county attending county schools. Hmm. I didn't hear any of that. I I didn't hear anything that said, "Hey, you know, we used to have these alternative schools for uh, people who age out and we this we disestablished them in Montgomery County. Maybe we need to relook at that." Right. I didn't hear any of that. All I heard, you know, was some talking points that didn't apply to me, that didn't matter to me. For an incident as serious as Damascus mm-hmm. or take your pick yep. around the school. I think there is a real level of frustration from parents who say that the administration is not properly communicating with parents. It's their most important responsibility. Not only that is to protect students, to protect teachers, but they have to talk to us in a way that we understand it, okay? I, I want to ask you a question. I see a lot of different candidates who are picking up certain endorsements and you kind of see how that's going to play out who's backing whom but i think parents stakeholders taxpayers they want to know that you're going to be an independent voice on the board of education that you're going to make decisions based on objective data you're not going to be beholden to the teachers union or to you know another group but you're going to be beholden to the taxpayers to the teachers to the students so can montgomery county can they count on you to be an independent voice on the Board of Education? Absolutely. So I'm probably the only candidate running in this election that does not have uh, a Donate Now button on my website, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm running a a campaign that engages parents directly, that engages teachers directly, that engages community stakeholders directly. Right, so um, you know, I I don't have any hidden five hundred ones backing me. I don't have any you know any uh, constituencies like unions backing me. Right, I've uh, so it, it's you know I'm I'm running a campaign for parents, for community stakeholders, and for teachers, not for a political establishment, not for a you know. There uh, is a political establishment in yes, Montgomery County. Yes. And there's a machine politics. And anybody who wants to say otherwise, well, I, I will march you down to ca- the county council. I will march you down to down county. And I will show you how the machine operates. And I, I'm sorry, this, sh- this show is honest. I'm, I'm going to be as brutally honest as possible. There is a certain culture in Montgomery County, and I think you're familiar with this, Neil. If that you're not on the inside, then they ask you why the hell you're running for Board of Education. And you know that's is that the, fair to say? Oh, that is absolutely fair to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, when I look at Montgomery County politics, I almost think about Tammany Hall in New York City, boy, or Boston, <laughs> yes, or, or Chicago, or Chicago, right? And when we look at this, we say, "I didn't even know what an Apple Apple ballot endorsement was <laughs> <laughs> till like about a month ago." Well, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's fair. And but you know, I think there's things that are changing. And there's nothing wrong with the Apple ballot, mm-hmm. but it's um, 
how do you say this? It's all. It seems to me that it's already a foregone conclusion. There's nothing wrong with the yes, Apple ballot. Yes. People make their decisions based on the Apple ballot. People also make decisions on the Washington Post. And I think the Washington Post has gotten it right a lot more than the Apple ballot has. <laughs> and maybe that's not fair to say, but that's at least my opinion. Let me ask you about um, financial responsibility. You're a guy that obviously places a lot of faith in numbers, and that's important. There are people, there are candidates who have talked about bringing financial responsibility to Montgomery County Public Schools. And as you mentioned, Neil, there isn't much wiggle room. You said 56% of the budget is is, is salaries. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's or, their county budget, the education rather, budgets. Pardon me. You're, yeah. Exactly. I correct myself. Is there anything in the budget that you would cut? Is how, you, how would you be successful in this effort? And is there anything you think that should be added to the budget? So the first thing I would say is, you know, um, I'm a big people person, right? And numbers are what help hold people accountable. So I'm not an accountant by trade, Right. If you ask me, I understand numbers. I understand, you know, financial management at, you know, not only a micro level, but I've managed, independently managed a $3 billion budget in the past, $3 billion budget in the past, right? And I've worked on billion dollar programs. And just for the record, and for everybody's watching and is going to listen subsequently, how much money are we, is the, the budget for the for Montgomery County Public Schools as it stands, it's about uh, all pots mixed, right? Yes. Because there are multiple pots Correct. of money that yes. support operating about, capital. Yeah, uh, you know, there's capex, opex. Mm. There are other ancillary support services that support the schools. You know, but they come out of a different funding stream. It's about three point one billion dollars. So it's of a money. yeah, it's about a three billion dollar enterprise. The most, the largest in the state. Yes, and when you think about it, and I'll even be generous. I'll say, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, about $2 billion a year that we spent on kids. I'll just be generous. You know, just, and you say, so for the last 10 years, that's $20 billion. What have we accomplished for $20 billion in Montgomery County in the last 10 years? And I've worked in the private sector. You work in the private mm-hmm. sector, or rather, you you understand. Yep, yep. When a company, if you're a chief administrative officer, if you are a CEO and you have a public entity and when your stock <laughs> and when your shareholders come to you and say, you've invested, you've invested mm-hmm. this much money, here's how you have spent your money. Eventually, taxpayers are going to come and collect mm-hmm. and they're going to ask for the receipts and they're going to say, tell me what you have done. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice, uh, you know, going back to this theme accountability, uh, MCPS budget, we haven't had a, you know, an audit ah. in a while. Why? Um, I mean, we, we talked about audits, right, when we had the credit card crisis a couple of years ago, you know, where the board members were spending uh, things on uh, on money, student money on on things that they shouldn't have been spending money on, right? We had, you know, and if even if you look at what's called the Public Transparency Accountability Database, it starts at $25,000. Mm. So I've heard from a couple of um, folks that work in MCPS staff, you know, anonymously, of course, right, that uh, MCPS has been known to engage in structuring. So what they'll do is they'll put about 15 grand per school to you know, break up a contract so we never get to see 
what the money was spent, three, four hundred thousand dollars, whatnot. And because their threshold for public information is twenty five grand. So as long as they keep it at twenty four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars or below and they just break out that those task orders among multiple schools, we never get to see the money. Yeah. Right? So at the end of the day we talk about that. And you know, talking about education and talking about outcomes, right? Just in terms of dollars and cents, you know, we spend in Montgomery County over about $100,000 per child to educate them over their lifetime. About that, right? And, you know, there are states, you know, and we have worse outcomes than sp- states that spend about half that amount, you know, in, in terms of, you know, accountability. So we have Tennessee, North, um, you know, North Carolina, Utah that spend about $60,000 per student over their lifetime. Right. And we have worse outcomes. So the question I ask myself, and I'll even, you know, uh, I know you, you know, as a host, you probably won't answer it, but you say, could we do better if we just decided to give each parent $1,000 a month for each one of their children? Do you think the parents could do better and achieve better educational outcomes than MCPS? Well... Andrew Yang answered that question <laughs> when he was running for president. Now, I see what you're saying, and you're saying, what would you do with that $1,000 a month and taking the totality of the time they spend in Montgomery County Public Schools, how would you invest that? And I think that's a fair question. And, you know, the other question is, and, you know, we talk about this, and Paul, uh, Paul Geller, one of my uh, opponents, mentioned this, right, one of the people who's also running. He said the number one course, subscribed course in MC in Montgomery College is remedial English. Mm. The number two course is remedial math. Mm. And about 60-something percent of our students in Montgomery College are MCPS graduates. How is it that we are sending grads after we're spending over, you know, $14,000 per student per year and they have to take remedial math going to Montgomery College? That's unacceptable. We're not talking about those, right? We're talking about equity. We're talking about, you know, all these other things trying to uh, get all these other programs in place because we want to hide the programs that we're failing at. Right. Right. We want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, school construction. Why is MCPS talking about school construction and working about how they how to do bids? That's not a core competency. Maybe if they gave that that task to Montgomery Planning, maybe we would have more holistic planning across. Yeah. You know, across the county. Let's move to boundary analysis. It's the big topic of the year in <laughs> yes, Montgomery County Public yes. Schools, and I think that's why you're seeing candidates that are true that are mm-hmm. running for the very first time. Um, y- let me ask you this question straight up, Neil: mm-hmm. Would you support altering contiguous boundaries? Would there be any situations where you would support changing non-contiguous boundaries? And do you support the concept of neighborhood schools? So we'll start with, it's a very complex question, right? Yes. And uh, I, I think you have inadvertently boxed me in a little. I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But, so, um, but, but the point is, is that we no. want to understand. Well, let me just start. How about this? Why don't we start with the boundary study in general? Do you support the school studying boundaries? So absolutely. I, I support uh, periodic boundary analysis, right? I, I do support that. Uh, you know, that's done in a very systematic and rigorous way that includes all the appropriate stakeholders from the communities being affected. Right. That's it. Then the second key point I'd like to make is, even with a boundary analysis, the changes must be contiguous, compact, 
and limited to achieving the specific outcomes, those objective outcomes we talked about. So whether it's reducing transit time, whether it's reducing uh, capacity, right, overcapacity, whether it's to ensure that we do have diversity, right? all those things, we need to start off with very specific outcomes in mind when we do a boundary analysis. And they, all the boundary analysis need to be, all the boundary changes need to be contiguous and compact so that we don't have instances where, like your child, for instance, is going all the way across the county to a, uh, to a different school just because that's what they've been assigned, right? I mean, I have three kids. They are about a mile, mile and a half away from you know my home. And it's very easy for me or my wife, if as both working professionals, if we need something, we can coordinate for after uh, after school activities. If there's an emergency, we can lean on a neighbor or somebody else or you know another classmate's parent to pick up the child and you know bring them safely somewhere. Imagine if we had to do that across the county. I don't know anybody in you know, and we mentioned Damascus, it's stuck in my mind. I don't know anybody in Damascus. Imagine if my child had to take a, a bus every morning to go to Damascus, you know, and then come back and they got sick in the middle of the day or something else happened or, you know, we had to sh- uh, shut down the school because of a threat. How would I react? How would my wife react? How do, would any other parent react? Don't know. And people haven't thought through those answers, right? So I completely, you know, why is it that you said mm-hmm. people haven't thought through those answers based on the, some of the discussions that I have seen? I, th- I think that you have a point there. There's a, it's complex. Now, the, the company who was uh, authorized to do this study who that we're paying for, they haven't returned any results yet. So we don't know what we're in for. So, That's fair to say. We don't know. And I think people are, some of the candidates are advocating for taking the recommendation they, th- mm-hmm. using recommendations based on their their analysis and then giving them to the experts to make the decision. So um, on this topic, right, let me go, and it ties back into why I'm also running, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of it, a uh, lot of my decision was m- crystallized after, you know, I attended a public hearing, right, on this boundary change. Yep. So we have a company, we have a process by which the Board of Education said, we need to look at countywide redistricting. That's fine. That's in their purview. Support that. They need to do that. You know, and they they had a couple of good rationales about, you know, 20 years we haven't done this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Good. Got it. Put out a contract, very specific contract that called for specific things to get done and specific qualifications mm-hmm. for people to be able to do that. And as a result, only two companies came, you know, were able to meet the criteria, one of them being WXY, right? Perfectly fine. Bruhaha comes and the board in a sort of sly manner decides to change the task order so significantly, you know, uh, to now talk about it's just going to be a boundary study. And the deliverables have significantly changed, but we never changed, we never discussed whether that amount that we originally asked, we originally decided to pay WXY is still appropriate. You know that if we're all we're asking them to do is a online, uh, some tool, right? This this uh, modeling tool, mm. why we couldn't find a local minority disadvantaged business in minority county, in Montgomery County to build that tool. 
if now we have taken all the education, you know, all these other things out that XYZ's, uh, WXY is supposed to be an expert in, we took all that out of their scope and now they're just required to build a model. We're saying we can't find a single data analytics company in Montgomery County that's minority and disadvantaged. Mm. And that's criminal, right? And we're still paying $475,000. So let me ask you about this. We've heard the term busing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's give it to us straight. We'll put our cards on the table here today. Parents want to know if you support this concept or not. Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, you know, schools and we we talk about, um, you know, these wraparound services, right? Schools are a part of the community. You can't destroy communities and destroy schools. You can't do that. That's the worst thing you can do, right? When you have a school, we have a wraparound community services, you know, between, uh, you know, mental health services, between, you know, after school, after care. We have all these wraparound services. You have people that build their lives in that community, right? So, Schools are the focus of the community. You can't destroy communities. So when you have this inane idea about um, taking kids and we're going to plop them randomly across the county, you know, you're destroying communities. That's the second order effect of what you're trying to do. And now I've heard a ton of people walking back these things that say, oh, no, no more cross-county busing. That's not going to be something. And I'm, I'm, I've been asking for, I said, when will the board come out with a simple statement? It doesn't have to be too complex, and even MCPS, that says any future boundary changes in Montgomery County will be contiguous, compact, and limited to the specific scope that we asked for when we started it, right? Nobody has come out and said it. And then they say, oh no, we're not gonna do that, trust us. Oh my God, we're so accountable for your children, your money, we have done such a good job in the past 20 years. And you know that's what their idea is. Trust us, and if you and then if you give us more money and more resources, we'll, we promise we'll make things and better. But it's the same board. Some of these board members have been in that board for twenty years. The superintendent has been there for four years, right? Yeah. So I, when we, when we talk about all these things, they're saying, "Trust us, we do do the best." But then when we ask them for accountability, they're like, "Uh, we can't account for anything." So absolutely against cross-county busing. Speaking of Superintendent Jack Smith, Dr. Smith, mm-hmm. how would you grade his performance? What do you think he can do better? What is he? What do you think he may have done well? And what are your thoughts on his recent salary increase? And is that a smart investment for Montgomery County Public Schools? So first of all, um, I don't know uh, Dr. Smith personally, um, but... Uh, we lived in Calvert County when he was the superintendent there. We were very happy with uh, his performance in Calvert County. Uh, in Montgomery County, uh, also, you know, like I said, my kids are thriving, right? So education-wise, uh, you know, appreciate what he has done. And, you know, the fact that he has pushed forth this idea of equity and diversity to the forefront of our, all our conversations, those are some great things that he has done. But that's not the only role that he plays, right? Uh, In terms of accountability in the last four years, he could have made sure that we we put systems in place 
where we had more rigor towards accountability, not fight the IG bill, not fight the OLA uh, reports. Uh, you know, so those are some of those things, especially the business operations aspect of MCPS. I think Dr. Smith could do a lot better. And maybe I'm a little biased because I know those back office things. I know big systems, big bureaucracies. I don't know education. Very happy with his educational agenda, but I'm very disappointed that he doesn't have the right team backing him to ensure that we are uh, focused on education in a sustainable way in the county. Now, as far as his 9% raise and his contract, uh, I'm very disappointed with the board that as part of these contract negotiations, we didn't put accountability measures in his contract. You know, very, very disappointed. And I think as far as being tone deaf, you know, uh, giving teachers, you know, a, a bare a, a, a wage increase that doesn't even keep up with inflation and then giving him a 9% pay raise, a 40%, you know, a 40 grand uh, plus up on his retirement, 55 days of leave, all those sweeteners. A, a car. A car, right? All those sweeteners. Uh, I, I think the timing was just inappropriate, especially when you don't talk about any new accountability measures. You know, maybe they should have had a one-year contract with three-year options to extend him. You know, as opposed to blanket four years. So I, I think the board could have negotiated better. And, uh, you know, but once again, it goes back to the tone deaf nature. And we talk about the the political machine, that it seems that they're just washing each other's hands. You know, the board doesn't provide appropriate oversight. And uh, he just panders to specific pet projects of the board. Hmm. Uh, there are numerous instances of... MC, MCPS employees who've been arrested for and convicted of sexual assault and sexual misconduct, Neil. And this is an issue that is one of the most serious problems facing MCPS. And many parents feel that Superintendent Jack Smith has inadequately addressed some of these problems, especially Damascus. And how would you address this issue as a board member? And what would you do to foster transparency? So once again, it, it goes back to a zero tolerance for a culture of rape, okay? Uh, all the things that we do and say, you know, uh, and the enabling conditions that we put in place, uh, you know, set the tone. So for instance, you know, there should have never been an instance where some of those children in Damascus should have been un left unsupervised for that length of time. You know, the fact that it had been going on for multiple years, we can't even say that it was a one-off occurrence where nobody knew about it, right? It was just, it was a ritual at Damascus, right? And we're talking about, you know, the if the Board of Education and the superintendent and his staff are so ignorant about that, maybe what they need to do is go out of, out of the board headquarters and MCPS headquarters, and maybe they need to start visiting schools more often, <laughs> you know? If that's, if that's the kind of ritual, and people knew about it, and it wasn't brought to the surface, look, I was in a college fraternity. I understand ritual. I understand what goes on, but rape? And I, you know, I, I'm sorry, there's just... It's unfathomable. And that's where we talk about even the tone-deaf nature of his 
Dr. Smith's communications to the community? Well, that's the point, right? right? I mean, shouldn't we ask what can our school system do to better communicate that this incident's never going to happen again and transparently explain why it happened in the first place? That's a concern among many parents to say, why isn't Dr. Smith and his team effectively messaging this and telling us the truth? And, you know, I, I completely agree. And that's where, you know, it started off with, hey, maybe that heinous incident in Rockville, right? Uh, in, in the bathroom in a public school, right? Maybe that was a one-off. Okay, I, I, you know, things happen. Bad things happen sometimes, right? But then Damascus happens right after that. And you say, yeah. did you not learn? And then right after Damascus, we got this thing in Silver Spring. And you say, did you not learn? Where is your attention being focused, right? What are you doing to keep our children safe? I haven't heard a single thing about you keeping our children safe. All I've heard is about, you know, something about equity and something about plier versus doe. I don't care about that. I just want to know when my nine-year-old girl, my 13-year-old girl, and my 15-year-old daughter, all my daughters, are going to school, they will not be raped. That's all I need to know. And I need to know what the school system is doing to ensure that does not happen, not just to my child, but to any child in Montgomery County. Well, that's that's a concern that every parent should should have, and I'm sure they do. You know as well as I do that MCPS, they're failing a large group of students, Neil. The test scores show a stark reality. What do you think are, what what groups do you think are the most impacted, and what can we do to turn this around here in our public schools? And, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, this idea we talked about is that, you know, the board, you know, the, the MCPS leadership, the board, they're tone deaf. They're not talking to anybody, right? So the core issue, and I, I have listened, I've, you know, I've uh, read the, you know, the Black and Brown Coalition's points, right? I fully support them. The idea that, guess what? We need more experienced teachers in these failing schools. We need more experienced administrators in these failing schools. We need more access to rigorous curriculum, right? This idea that, oh, you know what? We don't have an honors English teacher, so we're just going to shove you in basic English because you're probably not even qualified to attend honors English. This right. access to rigorous curriculum. We haven't, you know, it's all those things. So, but when we go back and we're like, okay, what does the teacher's contract look like? That mm. MCPS is negotiating with the teacher's union, right? With MCEA. We say, are we talking about incentives to put experienced teachers in those schools? I mean, I, you know what? Uh, I'll be honest, right? If I had, you know, if it's a seniority-based system and I'm going to school that has a high rate of crime and poverty that I'm struggling every day, I'm getting frustrated every day, and the administration is doing anything about it, I would, as soon as I got that chance, I would move to a better school. Hmm. Everybody would, right? You would move to a better job. You'd move to a better commute, right? Everybody does that. But what are we doing in terms of incentives to make sure teachers that maybe are on the fence, that we can retain them in those schools, those teachers with the 5 to 15 years experience, that, that golden time that we're keeping them in those schools. Do we have a mentorship or a grooming program to build the bench of competent administrators to take over these underperforming schools? Are we talking about a rotation policy for principals? 
so that the principal doesn't stay in one school for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. and they get that golden ticket and whatever. That every three or four years, they're rotating schools. You know, we're not talking about anything. We're not talking about maybe putting putting a curriculum curriculum online so that even if you don't have, you know, we can't put every class in every school, right? We just don't have the resources. But if we put the lesson plans online somewhere, and then we can use ancillary sources like the Khan Academy or Wikipedia mm. or whatnot so that community members can come together to fill in the gap as long as they had access to some of these lesson plans and curriculum. You know, so those are the kind of things that when we get so calcified in our approaches to things, mm. we never think about and we forget that it's kids. <laughs> it's, you know, we all start going to our constituencies and we forget that it's about the kids. That's right. There are parents concerned, too, that MCPS, they're only challenging students performing at grade level or below and not challenging or focusing on students at advanced levels or above grade level. What do you say to that? What's your solution? I I completely agree, right? And this cookie-cutter architecture of school education is something that Dr. Smith needs to look at. Take a really hard look at, right? We have 32 children in each classroom, you know, about between, you know, 20-something to 30-something. Some classes are larger. So obviously, a teacher can't provide individualized instruction to every student, right? Right. But what we could do is if we provide teachers access to multiple types of curriculums, they can help each student maybe individualize it a little more. So we have challenging curriculums, extra work available for students that want it, right? We should be talking about establishing more magnet-type programs across all the underperforming schools in the county, you know? So, and it's incentivizing parents in better schools if you, you know, you say, okay, I can I can go to a W school. Let's just be blunt about it, right? I can go to a w, my kids can go to a W school. We're happy, right? But guess what? There's this data science program, you know, in in Northwood or somewhere mm. else, and it's it's competitive entry. You know, I'll, I'll take my child there, and maybe that that frees up some space for another voluntary space where somebody from another community can make that effort to come to that school, yeah. right? So we can. You know, we can take somebody from Kennedy and we can actually move them to that empty slot now in W, but voluntarily, right? Where the parents are are meeting in, in half and the community is meeting in half where you say, okay, this parent now, you know, as, as an immigrant, and I've seen tons of immigrants do this, right? Make sacrifices for their kids, making that sacrifice. Okay, my kid isn't getting what they need in Northwood. A voluntary slot just opened up in the W because somebody else went to a magnet program somewhere else or a, a you know a another specific program that's right i will make that sacrifice i'll m- me and my child will get up 45 minutes early we'll find a way to get to one of the w schools that's what we're talking about right yeah yeah that it's a, it's a, it's a it's a solid point and you're probably aware that a number of mcps students have committed offenses that are violent in nature would you be in favor of allowing students to remain in our classroom in our classrooms in our public schools with other students who desire to learn, or would you be interested in moving those students to an alternative school where they could be better served and not be a threat to our student population and our teachers? So, you know, in public service, right? And, you know, especially with collective bargaining and stuff, uh, I deal with these issues quite a bit, 
right? And it's not just kids, it's adults yeah. too, right? So we talk about these, this concept of an escalation ladder. Yes. Like almost like a, you can almost look at it at a points-based escalation ladder. And that's where, you know, that SRO training also comes in and teacher training, the empathy training comes in. Uh, you know, maybe the kid is having a bad day. We don't need to immediately throw them on the, off the deep end of the pool. Right, we can maybe put them in a, in a classroom, a different classroom in that school, just for that day, and maybe they're acting out because they're hungry. They didn't get a good meal or good night's nap at home, right? And guess what? Uh, if they are continually being bad, you know, they're not uh, contributing to the classroom, then we need to look at those alternative locations. And I still don't know why we started closing a lot of these alternative locations in in Montgomery County. And, you know, it goes back specifically to your point is every child is different. We can't put this cookie cutter. And maybe some children would benefit from not being in a in a eight-hour period day in that rigid classroom. Maybe they would appreciate, you know, having night school where they can focus better, right? Maybe they would appreciate being with other 20-year-olds, yeah. right, as opposed to 13-year-old girls. Right? All those things we talk about, we need to be looking at alternatives. This cookie cutter approach is no longer working. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the student member of the board. Do you think that the student member of the board should be given authority to vote on budgetary matters and should they be allowed to chair a committee? No. So what I think is the student member of the board, right, is a great opportunity, right? And I actually think that we shouldn't just have one student member of the board. We should actually have a student member of the board for every board member and they shadow them. Well, you know, I, I think that's an important point and you, you gave a definitive no and I, look, this is a minor mm -hmm. detail podcast. We appreciate straight answers here. I see student members of the board being co-opted by some board members over the past couple of years. They're, they're, they're excellent students. They have so much potential. But then it becomes, I've seen some partisan members of the student. I mean, I, I've been tweeted at by a former student member of the board, and I won't mention any names, who, you know, who went to Yale and then is bashing anybody who doesn't agree with his his political philosophy. I, I mean, that's not what the student members, come on. So once again, you know, you and I were children at young adults at, at one time, I remember right? that. Right? Barely, right? With our gray hair. Uh, mine, at least. Oh, I'm no, I'm getting <laughs> it. It's, it's, it's in there. But, um, you know, this, I actually am very encouraged by the dynamic nature of, you know, the, the students. It sort of reminds me of the protests I used to participate in <laughs> in, in, in high school over, you know. Oh, you did. Yeah, you know, it's but that's democracy in action. Do, do you think that students should be able to get a free day to go out and protest? Should they be, what's the, you know, I know that our county executive supports that. I mean, should they be having excused absence to go out and do that? If they make up the work, I sure. think it should be a reasonable approach. And once again, it goes back to are all the children accounted for? You can't have children willy-nilly going to do something, right? Well, if so, they're going to go attend a climate change act. I, so are it, the parents aware? Did the parents sign off on it? Mm -hmm. Do the parents know that the kids are going to be out of school that day? Yeah, my wife wouldn't sign off on that right? one. Right, but I couldn't that's, get her the, to <laughs> that's something that the parent needs to decide, not the child and some administrator. 
But going back to the student board, so I'm very excited, right, that they are participating in the democracy, that they're learning advocacy, they're learning all these skills. Mm-hmm. What I don't support is a $40,000 paycheck. <laughs> like seriously, that, that's more than a ton of people in the county make working full time. You know, that's, that's, you know, and that's why I say... I think it's fair to say, too, look, when I was 17 years old, now look, our kids are, I'm very lucky (laughs) to have children. Our Mm 16-year-old is is extremely advanced. But I got to tell you, not even until I got to graduate school, I'm in my 30s, did I understand truly complex budgets. Right? And that's what You're making a decision on the shareholders. These are people that are making fundamental decisions that alter how we are taxed, essentially, and they're in coordination with the county council. Why should they be given such an enormous responsibility? So, And that's where you know you and I are in complete agreement that this is a mentorship, a learning opportunity, mm-hmm. right? It's not a learn how to be a political candidate, <laughs> right? It, it's, or, you, you know what I mean? It, it's about uh, learning how to understand politics and civics better. And that's why I'm saying maybe we could distribute that same paycheck to seven kids. You know, every board member can have their own SMOB that works in partnership with them that recommends maybe a a vote that then the board member takes. Let me ask you about the FARMS Mm -hmm. acronym, which has been a constant discussion among many parents over the last few months. Neil, are you in favor of using the free and reduced meals numbers um, as the first priority in redistricting decision? What other factors should be considered? So, you know, we we go about the purpose and scope, right, of different programs, right? right? Farms is free and reduced meals, right? That That's the program, free and reduced meals. Yep. Uh, and what that means is temp in it primarily is funded by the TANF, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Yep. Right. So it's a very specific time limited program that addresses a very particular issue. It doesn't address ESOL, it doesn't address wraparound services, it doesn't support mental health, it doesn't support, you know, um, you know, when uh when you have uh uh, a very disruptive household where, you know, there are other things going on in the household, right? It doesn't uh, support homelessness, right? There, there are tons of other issues. So when w- folks find farms and they say, oh, farms is a great proxy for race because obviously we can't use race in any decision making, right, for public education, we'll just find another metric that kind of correlates with that and we'll we'll say that's causation and what we'll do is we'll push forward. Hmm. So in that sense, farms and ever farms have a purpose, right? That is a county problem. It's not a MCPS problem. MCPS can't solve poverty. MCPS can't solve hunger. MCPS can't solve the fact that we don't have good public east-west public infrastructure in this county, right? MCPS can't solve all those problems. MCPS needs to educate the children. And when we start talking about, uh, you know, race-based redistricting, using a race proxy called farms and ever farms, we are completely headed down the wrong path. The big issue front and center in our state politics, as you mentioned, (laughs) 
it, it's Kerwin. Mm-hmm. The recommendations, the cost, and most importantly, how are we going to pay for that? Neil, what are your thoughts on the recommendations? How do we fund them? So uh, first things first, there are five recommendations to Kerwin. Yep. And uh, I encourage everybody to visit the the site where all these materials are posted. Yep. You know, it's on the Maryland State website. Yes, it's a 243-page report that I have growingly read through. So one of the things that I found very interesting is the responses to this report, right? Every stakeholder submitted responses, including the uh, Maryland, uh, you know, the Boards of Education Association and MCPS and Superintendents uh, Union, they all submitted things. That's right. And all, if you read their letters, it's not me putting words in their mouth, you read all their letters, they all oppose recommendation five, which is accountability. They all oppose it. They're saying we already have enough accountability measures in place. Well, if you did, obviously we wouldn't be talking about, you know, disproportionate educational outcomes. We already had the Thornton Commission a couple of years ago, 15 years ago, right? We already had casino money that was supposed to go to schools. And it didn't. Yeah. So we're talking about, oh yeah, we want more money for these great things, which I support, but we don't want any accountability. Completely wrong-headed approach. Hmm. And I support things in Kerwin that talk about, uh, you know, uh, preschool for all, right? Those good things, access to rigorous curriculum, right? Ensuring that we have equitable uh, access to resources. What about teachers making $60,000 at a starting salary? Does that work in Garrett County or over in Worcester County or in, you know, on the Mm -hmm. shore in Southern Maryland? Does that that work? (laughs) So, you know, you and I are, like, we started this conversation about being taxpayers, Mm -hmm. right? Contributors to a county. Right. Right? I mean... And we all know the Metro DC area is an expensive area to live. Sure, we one all, of the most expensive in the in the country. Right. So we are talking about, you know, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. All these good organizations say it's about a thirty percent difference. Right. You need about thirty percent more than you would li- need in Idaho or somewhere else, right, to live in DC. Got that. Teachers currently make. more than their national peers. They do. And we're saying that's not enough, right? That we we want to increase their steps and we want to, you know, almost double their pay, right? But where's that money going to come from? You know, we don't don't get to say double our pay, right? Our pay is still going to stay the same. Right. Uh, But we're talking about all these things and then we're talking about not only that, but we're saying we need to reduce direct instruction time. Right. Yeah. So you go back to say, are we attracting the right type of public servants to public education? Is are we having a hard time? You know, the argument is we can't get enough teachers in Montgomery County, right? Or in certain Maryland yep, that's areas. That's definitely a concern. And you say maybe we should be asking the question, fundamental question: Are we recruiting the right people? Mm-hmm. You know, to be educators? Are we incentivizing them in the right way so that when they get more experience, they're actually staying in the schools that need the most work? Well, a tax bill just failed last week where they wanted to increase the sales 
uh, the sales tax on specific services. And yes. while that has failed, they're still pushing another. They passed the Kerwin uh, mm-hmm. in that house, as we have yes. come to learn. But they still haven't found a comprehensive plan to pay for it. And what we're not hearing that is being discussed among organizations like the Maryland Association of Counties, MACO, is that county government are concerned because they're going to be hit with likely property and tax increases to pay for some of these recommendations. That's a major concern. Look, was it back in 2015, Montgomery County already was was hit with a 9.8% tax increase? I, I, it was 8.75, sir, but yes, close to 9. Was it? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry. That no, no, you, no, because I know the number, and I, I said I was one of those people that said never again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about Kerwin, right? In, in terms of real dollars, we're talking about $40 billion mm-hmm. over 10 years, right? And what that means, right, when we talk about impact to families, not this macroeconomic impact. When we talk about impact to families, it's a 39% increase in your income taxes, you know, or it's a 89% increase in your sales tax, or it's a 535% increase in your property taxes. You pick, right? So what that means is your effective tax rate as a family member, right? As a, as a person living in Montgomery County that pays taxes, your take-home paycheck is going to get reduced by 12%. Can you do with 12% less? Can you meet your financial obligations? Can you pay your mortgage? Can you do all those things you need to do with 12% less every paycheck? That's what it really boils down to. Well, as a Board of Education member, clearly you have to be a fiscal steward of the county, Neil. So I think we covered a lot of issues today. Um, (laughs) So I want you to Plug your website and plug any of the upcoming events that you plan on being at. Yes. I'm sure there's going to be. I know that I read Bethesda Beat. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if anybody who, who is listening um, from Bethesda Beat, Caitlin Peets is a fantastic local reporter. In fact, she's one of the best local beat reporters um, in the area, in the region. And she has done one heck of a job covering Montgomery County Public Schools. I want to give her a shout out. It's not an easy job. It's taken a toll. And she continues to churn out some excellent articles, keeping all of us informed. I read read her stories every single day. But you're going to be all over the place. But first, your website. So yeah, it's kind of funny. Somebody told me, and I'm not a career politician, they said the first thing you need to do is get a name tag from Office Depot. That's right. That says who you are and what you're running for. That's right. I still don't have that. I'm going to work on that today. There's a Staples right down the street. Exactly. So, But uh, my website is chaudhryforchange.org, C-H-A-U-D-H-R-Y, chaudhryforchange.org. My Facebook presence is also Chaudhry for Change. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that's where I keep all my official positions. So if you ever want to screenshot or cut and paste my official positions, that's where you'll find them. Uh, my website talks about who I am as a person. You can actually see a uh, a little dated. It's about a couple of years old, but a dated picture of me and my family, <laughs> right, uh, doing something productive. Um, so you can sort of say at least this guy doesn't look like a complete weirdo. So. <laughs> but uh, check out my website, you know, Chaudhry for Change. I have a email address also on there mm-hmm. that if you have any personal uh, questions, concerns, feel free to reach out to me. I've been invited to a ton of community events. I intend to attend all of them. Good. Good. That'll um, be helpful. Yes. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's 
getting the message out that trust but verify, yeah. right? I, I trust that the educators in Montgomery County are doing the right thing, but I would like the board and you know to make sure that we verify that that's happening. And that's what, you know, people ask me, what do you want to change about education as a board member? And I tell them, absolutely nothing. I'm not an educator. My job is to provide that executive oversight to make sure educators get their, uh, you know, uh, appropriate resources that they need in order to, uh, you know, improve educational outcomes in a sustainable way. Neil, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. I appreciate you coming on to a Minor Detailed podcast for the first time. I'm sure that we were going to talk again. I wish you the best of luck in your race. I know it's going to be a busy few months until April 28th, which is the primary, and I believe that early voting begins April 16th and extends through the 23rd. Make sure you vote. And as an unaffiliated guy like myself, a total independent, um, it's... uh, we can vote for the Board of Education and nobody else, and as you know that as well. Um, and if you have any issues finding your polling place, please email me. I can help you with that. It's ryan at a minor detail.com. Neil, thank you. No, thank it's been you. a real pleasure to chat with you. And uh, if people – are you going to be doing yard signs and all that stuff? I see other candidates with yard signs out and uh, – I know you're not taking any money because you yeah. said you're not donating. You don't have so, a donate button. Um, once again, I started this campaign in January. Mm-hmm. I didn't officially start the campaign till that Friday when we filed. Yeah. Right? And a lot of my competitors have been planning this as career politicians for about like a last year or so. You know, so um, this time I don't have a strong enough infrastructure, so I'm using a digital marketing strategy. Okay. Right, so most of my campaign will be online. Uh, Once again, it's talking about, uh, you know, thinking about things a different way. Mm. You know, uh, I personally think, you know, yard signs, you know, sort of like open houses, (laughs) you know, make certain people feel good, Uh but I don't know what the ROI is and whether that's a effective ROI and use of money. Well, look, it's like Twitter, you know, we, (laughs) if you went by Twitter, then, uh, an, an, another candidate would be the front runner for president of the United States right now. Yep. And it's it's not always real life. And yes, it's nice to have out, but you know, that's and and now the county as I know is cracking down on yard signs in in certain restricted spaces. So So I'm just waiting for like April when everybody starts whining about stolen yard signs. Well, that's, that's going to come in. I'd... We know it's going to come and I <laughs> I know my good friend Adam Pagnuco um is probably going to write a column on that. So <laughs> Thank you so much no, for your time today. Thank you. You for could your be doing time. anything else today, but you spent it with me, and your time is incredibly meaningful. So thank you, and best of luck. No, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you. As a reminder, Maryland's 2020 primary election is Tuesday, April the 28th. Early voting begins on Thursday, April 16th and extends through Thursday, April the 23rd. Be sure to check out a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast. A Minor Detail podcast is on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com. For Maryland political news, please visit aminordetail.com. I'm Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening.